Hey guys, Dave Riesinger here, and I hope you believe that. Jesus is king. He's the king of my life. He's the Lord of my life. He's my savior. And today we celebrate our Super Bowl, which is Resurrection Sunday. So we mainly focus on the death of Christ, which is so important. It's so imperative that we understand what Jesus' uh, purpose was on the cross, why he shed his blood for us. But remember, we're not celebrating Jesus on the cross. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus went off the cross. He went into the tomb. He conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he rose again. And because of that, the implications of the resurrection are so powerful and so drastic and so life-changing that we want to talk to you today. Whether you're a believer and you need hope and encouragement today to realize what you have in the resurrection, or maybe you're somebody who doesn't really know or believe, I'd ask you just to stick with us because one word can change your life. I promise you that. I was 17 years old and I sat and I heard a sermon and I heard about the Jesus who died and rose from the dead and it literally transformed my life. And then at the end of this video, we have a very special testimony, a story um, from a couple at Redeemed Church whose names are, are James and Megan. And they are a story of how God brings dead things back to life. You know, I want to read the Easter story. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit, but then I'm going to really focus in on one specific line that jumped off the pages that I just pray will bless your soul today. Uh, let's read in Luke 23:50 through Luke 24:8, And this is the story. Now, there was a man named Joseph a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decisions and actions. This was to crucify Jesus. And he came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had ever been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Verse 56 says, Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Let me read that one more time because I'm going to come back to this. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still here with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And later you read, just to paraphrase, they go and they tell the other disciples, some believe, some didn't, until Jesus starts to appear to them. He appeared to some disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then in total, Jesus appears to 500 that had an eyewitness account of Christ raising from the dead like he promised he would. Easter is a celebration of life. And some of you might be thinking, well, can't I believe in Jesus? 
Can't I love him with all my heart, even if I don't believe he raised from the dead? Uh, there's a lot of angles, a lot of different ways we can go with the talk on the resurrection. And I'm going to focus on one in particular. But let me say this before I get into that one line that jumped off the pages. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, everything prophesied about Jesus in the Old Testament, um, the promises that he made to you and I, they hinge on the fact that he would be the author of life, that he would overcome death, that he would pay for our sin on that cross, that he would become sin, and that he would go into the grave, he would take back the keys of authority and raise again, offering you and I the opportunity to have eternal life. But without the resurrection, none of this matters. Think about this. This is what Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 15. It says this in verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So think about this. The fact that he raised from the dead, all who believe on Jesus are now given eternal life. Adam came. Now, just this is so crucial. I was, we're, we're dealing with this virus right now, right? And we were born with a virus. We were all born with a deadly virus. It was called sin. No, you didn't ask for it. No, you didn't uh, necessarily choose it, although that we, we sin willfully. But our great-grandfather Adam, when he sinned and rebelled against God, he took on a spiritual DNA that was sick with this virus called sin. Jesus comes and he becomes, he's called in 1 Corinthians, he's called the last Adam, which means that he was going to become a person, take in Adam's DNA, he would put sin on himself, and then he would die on the cross. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose as the head of a new race of people, the race of the redeemed. He's also called the new man, the last Adam, which means that he put to death that virus and that sin in himself. He included us in that crucifixion. And then he raises from the dead and he says, all who are born again, meaning born of the spirit, I welcome you to be a part of this new race of people where you can find new life. This is the picture of baptism. We go down in the water, that's our tomb. We come up out of that water, which represents resurrection, and we are now a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so think about the implications of this. Because Jesus raised from the dead, it confirms that every prophecy about him is true. It confirms that the Old Testament, with all the predictions that Jesus fulfilled, that they were actual, and the ones that haven't yet been fulfilled, they are true because Jesus put the big exclamation point on his identity, on his divinity by raising from the dead. It, it, it proves that the wrath of God has been satisfied. Some of you guys live in guilt. I know that there were so many, even as a believer, I would try and earn God's love and, and I would try to, uh, 
try to work harder to be better. But when I realized that Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for my sins, I don't have to whip myself anymore. I just freely receive the grace that he offers me. And his resurrection confirms that God's wrath and my judgment was satisfied in Christ. It proves that he did conquer death, hell, and the grave. And that when we as believers, when we die, we don't really die. We actually go into eternal life. So think about this, like death was the big enemy. And in Hosea, it says, this is prophetically speaking of Jesus, it says that Jesus says, I will have no pity on you, death, right? So he, he basically turns death into a chauffeur driver. So now when a believer in Christ, when this body dies, death actually is given the job of bringing us into eternal life forever and ever with Christ in heaven. It proves that Jesus is the Messiah, not just a prophet, that he's the Lord of all. He's not just a teacher. And it also proves that we can trust everything he said to us. Now let me zoom in on this because this is so powerful. He says, uh, these, these angels say to these two women in Luke 24, 5, why do you look for the living among the dead? Now obviously we know that he was talking about the actual person Jesus. But there's something else there. There's another angle to this that I think relates to us and I want you to let God speak to your heart right now and really search you. Because I know that I've been looking for life among dead things many times, for sure before I knew Jesus, the author of life. But the Lord will continually tap me on the shoulder through his word or in his presence and he'll remind me, Dave, the pursuit that you are going after right now and the the things that you're prioritizing, are you trying to find the life I promised in graveyards? Are, Are you searching dead things to somehow bring you life. You know, I I think of this in like all of creation, all living beings, they're on a constant search and a constant hunt for life. Think about it, you ever watch Animal Planet? Like one of my favorite shows ever. But right now we're in quarantine and I don't know if you have seen what's going on, but uh, maybe it's always been like this, but maybe I'm just noticing it because I'm at home more, there's less traffic, but I feel like the animal kingdom is partying right now because there's nobody walking, not like they used to. There's no cars. I mean, I saw a couple squirrels the other day posted up in the middle of the road, like lean back on some pine cones, smoking a cigar and playing cards. Like, I know cars coming right now. I, I don't know if you've seen this. I got this green belt behind my house. Now, this is, this is no joke. And you just go into the mind of Dave here real quick because I got a sermon lesson out of it. But I'm, I'm, I'm waking up early in the morning and I look out and my green belt is just like alive. I feel like I got Jurassic Park going on in my backyard. And these animals are like, it's my turn now, suckers. Like, you had your turn. We have all been hiding and we don't see you anymore. So they're bold and they're out and they're doing their thing. But like all this noise starts kicking off right when the sun comes up. What's this all about? They are hunting and searching and seeking life in the form of food. Now, I know we all know this, but, but follow my trend of thought here, okay? So I'm looking out my window, and this is, this is just on quarantine. I'm seeing like birds I've never seen before. I, I mean, like, I, I have no idea what that bird is. And they're in like fighter jets swooping in on bugs, right? The other day I woke up and I heard this like little machine gun sound. Like no joke, woke up like something is rattling my house. It was like, brr, brr. I'm like, what, what is this? 
So I, I go out and I kind of snuck out and there's a, a woodpecker and he's like beating into the gutter screens on my house, trying to get bugs, right? All this, all this animal activity. My neighbors came to me uh, just two days ago and they said, hey, um, uh, I said, what are you doing in your yard and doing a lot of work? Well, we just planted these trees or these bushes or plants down here and the deer are coming in and the bunnies are eating all of our plants we just purchased, so we're moving them up here, right? And, and, and so everything is searching to eat something to find life. I feel bad for the plants in this situation because they're looking at the forest like, all of you can run and you got a chance to escape, but I got to sit here while a bunny gnaws on my arm and my legs are planted deep in the ground. Like I got nowhere to go here. I'm just a little compassion for the plants. Any plant people out there? Can I get an amen? A little silent today, aren't we? Um, you know, but then I saw, so this was crazy. Um, my wife comes home and her and my daughter, Abby, they watch a hawk come down and, and grab a bunny right in front of my garage. Like, it's just nuts. And uh, I came home and just right after that and saw this. And parents, you can tell your kids, you can interpret them for this. But the hawk and the bunny, they ran off and to the side of the house and they played. And the hawk gave the bunny a little neck and back massage. And the bunny just took a little nap. But uh, this is all going down. Two coyotes, you know, my, my dog confronts him like he's some bull mastiff. He's a six-pound palm chipu, and uh, he acts big until something flexes on him. And if you want to know what my dog looks like, go to Google right now and look up an Ewok. And that's exactly what my dog looks like. I'm trying to breed him so I can sell Ewoks um, out in public. So, but I thought about this, and I'm like, man, all of this is going on and all these creatures are after life. And it kind of hit me when I read this story. Aren't we doing the same thing? Now, I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about the fact that like, yeah, instinctually an animal is gonna go for uh, sustenance and fulfillment and it's gonna satisfy its urge to be filled with life by eating other life. But what about us and our soul and our deep inner man? We do the same thing. We are constantly hunting for satisfaction we're constantly hunting to be filled. We're looking for wholeness. We're looking for peace. We're looking to feel complete and alive. And Jesus, he says, in all your hunting, in all your searching, in all your seeking, when you try and find your identity, your meaning, and your completeness in material items, when you try and find it in the next adventure, the next vacation, when you try and find it in you know, your hobbies, or you try and find it in the next thing you want to accomplish and the things you achieve. You know what he's saying? Why are you looking for life among dead things? Why are you searching for the life I've promised you in things that will never be able to satisfy or fulfill you? Let me read a couple more scriptures and then we'll wrap up here. Luke 17, 33, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. Jesus is saying those who wake up every morning trying to find, trying to satisfy themselves based on their own pursuits will end up losing their lives. Meaning you're going to lose your soul. But Jesus said, if you'll turn to me and you'll lay your life down, I will give you more than you gave me. I'll give you an eternal life when you gave me a finite temporary life. One of my favorite passages, John 10, 9 and 10, says... Jesus says, I am the door or the gate. If anyone enters by me, 
he will be saved and he will go in and out and find green pastures. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Here's the life that Jesus is talking about. Now look at this. Have you experienced this? He says life is zoe. It's this Greek word zoe. And it's both physically present and spiritual future. Jesus said, I'm not just giving you resurrection, eternal life for then when this body dies. You actually are given eternal life when you put your faith in Jesus right here, right now. This word abundant is parisas in the Greek, and it means beyond what is anticipated, beyond what is expected, more abundant, going past the limit, more than enough. And you know what? This is really the the mark that should uh, radiate from the believer's life, that we have eternal resurrection Zoe life. And it's marked by this. It's demonstrated in an overflow. I had calls on this quarantine so far, people from the church demonstrating this very eternal life. Hey, Dave, is there anybody that needs anything in the church? Uh, You know, people call like, hey, I'm going shopping for so-and-so. They've got a compromised immune system or maybe they're elderly and, and they need something done. And Um, One couple was like, hey, we took some money out of the bank just in case something goes down, but we took a few extra thousand out of the bank in case anybody in our body needs something. Um, We bought food for our freezer, but we bought extra in case somebody needs something. You know that most hospitals, most humanitarian organizations have been started by those who follow Jesus, who have eternal resurrection Zoe life that is abundant. It's not about hoarding at a grocery store and trying to take, because I'm afraid there's some limit, I'm gonna die if I don't get all this stuff. Zoe life that God gives us is a life that says, I wake up every day to give, not take. And so many of us live in fear and anxiety because we don't have that resurrection life pumping through our spiritual veins, but God offers it to you today. And let me close with this. What does the resurrection life look like? Uh, It seems like such a big concept, like, oh, resurrection, uh, Jesus raised from the dead, uh, we'll be in heaven one day and then we'll live forever. You know, we have these images of heaven. But what does it look like here and now? Uh, To me, my first experience of eternal resurrection life in my heart, and, and, and this is out of John 5, 11 through 13, it says, and this is my testimony, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son, Jesus. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know you have eternal life. You have it right here and now when you have Jesus. So I'm 17 and I remember things started to change on the inside that It wasn't behavior modification because someone told me to stop doing certain things. I didn't know scripture. I started reading the Bible. I hadn't started going to any Bible classes. I was just spending time with Jesus. I had given my heart to him. I opened my life to him. And all of a sudden, from the inside, based on the new heart he gave me, there were things coming out of me that were not from me. This is resurrection life. For instance, I remember going to school and there were kids that sat at the table by themselves and they were rejected. They were the, you know, they were like goths. We called them goths, you know, black trench coats, black makeup. 
and all of a sudden I just had a compassion come over me. I'd never bullied anybody, but like I, I, I didn't notice them. And all of a sudden I had these eyes that were awakened to see them. And I started to have a love for people that nobody else loved or wanted. Um, I started to feel conviction or good guilt for my sin. I remember sitting in class and I made my way through most of high school by cheating. You know, I would sit next to the smartest kid. I'd either uh, build a friendship and hopefully they would let me cheat or I would intimidate them. And I was, uh, you know, I, I, I needed to pass because I wanted to play sports. But I remember one day literally sitting in class trying to eye hustle and I'm looking at this person's, uh, uh, you know, paper and I'm writing the answers and I literally felt like Jesus was saying, this isn't what we do. We don't cheat. And I was like, wait a minute, Jesus is going to make me do my own homework? This can't be right. I disagree with Jesus right now, right? But I remember this was, it didn't come from me. And then, you know, sins and habits, I would start to feel a sorrow for, for doing these things. But then I had this joy. I'd wake up every morning and I, I could not wait to tell somebody else about the life that Jesus had given me. So here's all I'm saying in closing, that if you're searching for life, you're not going to find it in a bigger house. Now, God bless you if, if he's anointed you for business and gaining wealth. Just use it for the kingdom. Um, but he's, you're not going to find your, your peace or your life there. You're not going to find it by trusting in another human or in government. You're not going to find it by, man, if I could just take this next vacation, if I could just, whatever that is, that's trying to find life in a graveyard. But Jesus said, I offer resurrection power. Will you turn to me? and watch what I can do with your life. I wanna give you an opportunity right now because the Bible says that those who have the Son have life, but those who have not received Christ do not have life. I wanna pray right now. And if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, right now I want you to realize by the Spirit of God that He is inviting you to have a relationship with Him. He wants to live inside of you. He wants to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. He wants to forgive you of all your sins. He wants to wash your past clean and also the guilt and condemnation that comes with that past. I'm gonna pray and if you wanna pray with me, just agree in your heart as we do and be filled with the Spirit of God that brings resurrection life. Father, we come to you now and I thank you that you died on the cross so that we could be forgiven and you rose from the dead so we could have eternal life. And I pray for every single person who's been trying to find life in a graveyard, who's been trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment by seeking it in tombs, God. Those who have been searching for things that will never lead to life, I pray right now that God, you would open our eyes and let us see that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And God, I thank you that you are forgiving sins. I thank you that when we put our trust in you and believe on you as Lord, that you wash us white as snow. And I thank you that, God, we have eternity now in our hearts. So for that person, God, I just pray they would receive you now, they would put their faith and trust in you, and that you would baptize them with a power and a life they've never known before. Let joy and peace be experienced in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, if you made a decision for Christ or you want more information, you want us to follow up with you, um, go to redeem.church, give us your information, and we would love to help you take those next steps or just pray for you. I wanna just kick it to a story here in closing, and this is an incredible story of how God brings dead things back to life. This is a story about a marriage that was literally hanging 
um, over a grave. A funeral was about to happen for this couple and their marriage. And God turned the whole thing around with his resurrection life. Enjoy. We met at a barbershop. The kids, uh, two boys needed haircuts. I had taken Oliver to get a haircut and he brought, had brought Isaiah to get a haircut and he had both Isaiah and Nevaeh with him. And Oliver is very, has been a very affectionate kid since like the day he was born. And he saw them interacting and I was watching him watch them knowing he just wanted to get in, like be a part of it. And I was like, just, just leave him be. And next thing I know, he's sitting on James's, resting on James's knee with his little hands like looking up at him. And so he started talking to him. And then Oliver asked James what the scar on his face was from. And James said, oh, it's, uh, and he made up a story. And then he said, you want to touch it? And Oliver went to touch it and James and scared him. And so I started laughing. And that kind of just kicked it off, like we started talking and after that it was pretty much inseparable from the first date until three and a half months later we got married. A month and a half prior to meeting her I just broke up with somebody and I said that I was never dating anybody again until my kids are grown unless God himself placed a woman in my lap. And <laughs> then I seen her on our first date, it was wow. She was so beautiful. And then we talked and everything just lined up exactly how it was supposed to line up. And within two weeks, I knew that she was the one for me to marry. I thought about divorce probably two years into it. So we get married after three months of being married. In the honeymoon stage, things are perfectly fine. And then we come to grips with real life. You know, it's a blended family. We're, we're mixing and matching. We're living together. Just without the blended family, just a man and a woman being in the same house together is going to be chaotic, you know, after three months. Then you throw in kids and stepkids, and uh, we just start really um, dealing with all, all, the, all the problems that comes with being in a mixed, a blended relationship. And that took its toll to the point that we finally separated over it, and we were separated for close to a year. In the midst of all of that, what was really incredible was <clears throat> just the way that God met me, met me right where I was, and I had never, in that pain, I had also never experienced the tenderness of the Lord. It was a time that He really exposed his tender love. I was able through some really good counsel um, and mentorship, God just really opened my eyes to uh, humble me in a way. I, I had been praying all the, the time of separation that God would show me, like show me where I went wrong, show me what I did. And I was looking and it's like, I, you know, in everything that I would kind of pull up in my memory, I wasn't seeing where I was where I was falling short. And then finally there was the breakthrough of just the, the counselor kind of telling me like, no, look at it through his perspective. And I would say, 
I know, but I would never do that. And he said, that's because you're thinking from Megan's perspective. If you were looking at it from his perspective, you would have done the same thing. And it's like <laughs> back and forth of, I wouldn't. And, and then finally it kind of like, it just clicked of like, oh, okay. That really was a game changer for, for me. And then, then came the point where it was like, I need, I don't want a divorce. I never wanted that. I, that was the whole time that was, that we were separated. I never wanted that. But at the same time, it's like, how do you work through these things that are so painful and I felt so raw for so long. Um, but in praying for just a deep, genuine humility, um, God gave that to me and it was the most empowering and wonderful thing to be able to call him on the phone and truly in my heart, in the depths of my heart, say honestly, will you give me some of your time? My goal in, in reaching out is, I just really think it's important that you know what God's been doing in my life and in my heart and the changes that he's making. The more I grew closer to him in, in the word that I was studying and the devotionals I was listening to, and the people that I surrounded myself through, or with rather, all that together brought me closer to God and bringing me closer to God in turn brought me closer to the husband that I wanted to be. So instead of asking the question to my pastor, what can I do to be a good husband? It was stop focusing on what I could do to be a good husband and focus on the Lord and he will make me a better husband because of my actions, my relationship with him. So trying to grasp that early on was very easy. Now applying that and putting that into action, you know, <laughs> not the best, but you know, you get the concept of that and that's the direction that you want to go. When she came back after 13 months, and she had called on the phone, and it was all lip service to me because I'm a man of action. That's one of the reasons that we balance each other, is uh, there was a lack of action. And God softened my heart even more that when she came back, he dismantled the brick wall I had systematically put up and hardened and put concrete over it and put the rebar inside of it to make sure it wouldn't. He just blew it, and it came down. And she was in my heart within a week. <laughs> it's not me and Megan growing in God's relationship. No, we have to have our own relationship and then we grow together through him. Not me and you can figure that whatever out and then we'll talk to God after it. You know, it's not about that. It's about focusing on him first and then this second. And uh, that's what God showed me. Whatever path we take, whatever role we take, whatever he wants us to do, I think because we had to, you know, we was obedient to him through the worst times, I think when he asks us to do the next step, whatever that may be, there won't be any fear because we already went through the hardest part. Communicating in a healthy way, being honest, and being being courageous in that because that's hard, that's scary. It's Nobody wants to have those kinds of conversations where you're confronting something. So God's really helped 
kind of bolster my ability to be okay in that uncomfortable place of having a hard conversation, having an unpleasant conversation, and just obedience. I mean, really, like being obedient when that tug is there, acknowledging that, and then walking it out.